device with your Bible on it. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and just tell them how much you love them, would you? Lavish them with love. Some of you are kissing back there. Stop it. Okay. I'm going to get distracted and I can't keep you in the sermon here. Watch out. Our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. I'll give you just a moment to turn to that. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. If I appear to be hurrying this morning, I'm the first speaker after lunch at the men's encounter out at church camp. So uh, we do the encounter every February and August. And why Tim gave me the one right after lunch, I still don't get it. But So I'll disappear pretty quick when I say the amen, or somebody says the amen. And uh, if you, we hope our elders will be here to greet you in the back. And uh, we're so glad all of you are here today. 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18 Read along with me. Do not be yoked with those who are different with unbelievers. For what partnership do righteousness and lawlessness have, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What, art, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and move among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come forth from them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Ever been a part of a three-legged race? You know, that's where you tie, each of you tie one leg together, and then that's your third leg, and then you try to uh, get someplace and be first at it. There was a traveler one day driving down the back country road, and he noticed a three-legged chicken running alongside the road. Well, the guy stepped on the gas because the, the chicken was keeping up with his car, so he thought, well, I'll show this guy. So he steps on the gas. He's getting up to about 50 miles an hour. Man, that chicken's right beside him. After about a mile or so running, the chicken ran up a farm lane and into a barn behind an old farmhouse. Salesman turned around, drove up to the farm, uh, drove up the lane to the farmhouse, and knocked on the door, and the farmer answers, and he tells him what he had just seen. Farmer said that his son was a geneticist, and he had developed this breed of chicken because he and his wife and his son each liked a drumstick. And so, when they have chicken this way, they can only have to kill one chicken for all of them to have a drumstick. Man, that's a fantastic idea," said the salesman. "How do they taste?" 
Well, I know, said the farmer, we've never caught one. <laughs> when I hear three-legged race, maybe you do too, I think of picnics and uh, times when you've done these things and softball games and egg tosses and uh, three-legged races usually come in somewhere in there. Uh, you take off and you don't make it very far and if you don't work as a team, you don't make it very far at all. Somebody falls down, the other one's going to fall right behind them. But it takes a team to make a three-legged race work. You've got to think together, you've got to move together, and you've got to respond together. Some would call that a partnership. What your partner does greatly affects the outcome. And that's the illustration that Jesus is using or Paul is using in our verse today. Speaking of being yoked together. So, if you're following in your outline, first, first thing there on the outline is don't be unequally yoked in partnership. That's the first part of verse 14. He gives Old Testament sources. He talks about Esau's yoke. By your sword, in Genesis 27.4, By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. That yoke can also refer to bondage. Some people believe that they are in bondage in marriage. They're stuck. It ain't working. If she would just... You know, I thought Aaron was going to be thrown out of here on tar and feather. Well, you know, bless his heart. That was good. That was good. Brad and Bryant were getting a little uneasy over there, but I'm glad that you kept on going and talking about the man's responsibility is so much greater. Then in Numbers 25.3, So Israel yoked itself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. This yoke refers to endorsing idolatry. There are people who call themselves Christians and Christ followers, believers, and yet they've yoked themselves to idolatry. What idolatry, well, you might say? Well, it could be a lot of different things. It could be money, career, possessions. They've yoked themselves to that idolatry. And then in 1 Kings 12, your father made... Our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard uh, service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. Sometimes being joined to our government and its obligations can be yoke laden. When you owe somebody, you are in bondage. Wouldn't it be great tomorrow morning your bank calls you or the mortgage company calls you says mortgage is clear you don't owe any more money. How many of you, for the first time in your life, would raise your hands and shout hallelujah? <laughs> You'd all of a sudden become charismatic. Woo, glory to God. <laughs> you know. Yes, sir. Wouldn't that be great? How about if they told you every debt that you had has been paid? Ah! Man, I'd get 
Pentecostal at that point. <laughs> I'd be jumping something. Amen. Well, guess what? Your greatest debt has been paid. In full. At the cross. Okay, I'll wait. Wow, I'm really convinced. Hallelujah. I see no one jumping over anything. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, I know. It might. It would hurt you if you jumped over it. I got you. I, I truly understand. Deuteronomy 22, 9 through 11 talks about this unequal yoking. It says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crop that you have sown in the yield of the, in the vineyard, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Can you see an ox and a donkey pulling the same plow? Sure. That's kind of like you women having us men mow the yard. Or take out the trash. There's a donkey and an ox working against each other right there. Thank you. Somebody has tuned in finally. Another unequal yoking is Jehoshaphat and Ahab. They made peace with Israel, which was good. Ahab wanted him to join in the battle against the city under Syrian control. Prophets of Baal and Jehoshaphat. Yeah, he wants to hear from the Lord, though. Micaiah wants warns of doom, but they still go ahead. And later, uh, as never mind. Aha, that's what I'm going to call him. Ahab's son tried to get into another venue, but he was refused. Because you see, the idea of yoking is a partnership. Jesus said, take his yoke upon you. It's a good, he gives us good advice. In fact, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, all of you know what a yoke is? You know what I'm talking about? Big old wooden thing. And there's two slots. There's one for one head and one for the other. Jesus is already on one side. He just wants you and I to get on the other side. And the great news is, as we pull that plow of life, we're not doing it alone. He's pulling with us. And when you get tired, He's got the strength. Because you see, He's never going to get tired. Isn't that awesome? And He'll keep pulling. And He'll keep pulling. 1 Corinthians seven thirteen says, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to leave... Or, excuse me, to live with her, she should not divorce him. First Corinthians seven thirty nine, latter part says, But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. The thing that's important to understand about divorce and remarriage is we have to be very careful. It's not unforgivable. That's the beautiful part. I grew up in a church that it was unforgivable. I was told that if you divorce somebody, you're just going to hell. Period. I thought, wow. So I really didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with Christ or anybody. If that's the way he felt, I mean, because there's times when you 
in your impulsiveness as a young person will make a stupid choice. I'll wait. And those things happen. I mean, obviously they happen because they were dealt with by Moses in the Old Testament. You see, I'm concerned about what happens afterwards. What's your life look like afterwards? I had one of the best elders I've ever had in a church, so as I served years ago in another church, who had been divorced and remarried. But he learned from his divorce, and he turned his life into, into a dedicated life in Christ. He said, I'll always be sorry for my choice. I should not have gotten in a hurry, and I should not have gotten and, and done what I had done and picked the person I picked, because we weren't. For each other. But God is pretty clear in the Bible, and there's sometimes when you read this stuff, you just go, Wow. Wow. Business can be a rough experience, especially if you have dishonest, irresponsible partners. I mean, it looks like you're doing really good, and then all of a sudden you find out you're broke. Corey and I were talking about that this morning that some of his he's a, he owns a limo service and some of his competitors are flat going out of business because they're going broke they've overextended themselves don't make the mistake of connecting yourself with an ir- irresponsible partner especially in this area of marriage you want to marry someone who embraces the fundamental beliefs that you have Someone who will partner with you in serving the Lord. Uh, we had our missionary couple, Katie and Craig Bennett, here last weekend. and It's so obvious. They, they are so connected to each other in their partnership of mission work. To be so young, it's just so refreshing to watch. Their six-year-old son, I asked him if he wanted to pray for breakfast. And I thought, well, we'll get that real trite little prayer, you know, now. No, 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 no. But he says... Dear Lord, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, he just takes off praying for the food and praying for the church and praying for the family and praying. I thought, man, the guy's six years old. But I looked at the parents at the amen and I said, good job. Good job. Secondly, we've got to be careful about your religious associations. Verses 14 through 18. Integrity means turning from infiltration mentalities. You, you can't let people come into your marriage, to come into your relationship, to your partnership, and create problems. Five questions that Paul asks here. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Number five, what agreement has the temple of God with idols. Our standards should be higher with professing believers. If you are a believer in God, your, your uh, value system should be way up here. Make them come up to yours. Don't you come down to theirs. If you've got an unbeliever, stay away from them. It's going to cost you in the long run. Find you a believer that you can be partnered with and you can yoke with. Well, it makes a big difference. Here's the difference. 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, idolaters, 
since then he would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There are so many preachers today who are living this way as though it's okay. Preachers who should know better. So why do I expect the pew, for, the pew people to live that life if I'm not willing as the pastor to live that, live that life? Why should I tell you to tithe if I don't? Why should I tell you to be a soul winner if I don't? Why should I tell you to, t- to come to Bible school, come to Sunday school, come to see a Sunday night Bible study if I don't? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Makes all kinds of sense. Participating in false religion is like hugging and holding on to idols and bringing them into the temple. The temple of God is you and me. Today it's you and me. It's not just Billy. Billy can burn down. We still have church because we're the temple. You know, there's times when I think it'd be great for the church to burn down. I heard a story one time about the church that caught on fire and was burning down. People, of course, they gather around to watch, right? And a couple of fellas talking, and one of them said, uh, "Do you go here to church?" He said, "Yep, this is my church." He said, "Man, that's amazing. It's the most on fire I've ever seen this church." <laughs> You see, we're God's temple. And if we engage in bowing to an image, it's like bringing an image into the house of the Lord. Some people bow down to sports. The Olympics are going on now. And some of the touted people who are supposed to win these, uh, these events, they haven't shown up and done very good. I heard one of them say, well, I just didn't do good today. Because you see, you, you, you work four years to perform one event one time and you have the audacity to say well I didn't do good today that's not good enough you were supposed to bring the gold medal home then you should bring the gold medal home you pay somebody 25 million dollars to be a baseball player every time he comes up to the plate the ball should go out of the park for $25 million, he ought to be able to hit that ball a country mile every time he comes up to the plate. You pay a football player $17.5 million every time he touches the ball should be a touchdown. They don't matter that you got this. I mean, Tom Brady, 40 years old, he probably makes more than $100,000 a year. But after losing, he should be cut from the team. We were watching it at a gathering of the church, and you were probably watching the same thing. It got down to one minute left in the game. They gave him the ball back. The only way you beat the Patriots is never let him have the ball. Because with a a minute left and time going out, he drives that team down for one pass, and he made it to the end zone. Because you don't know how that pass is going to end up. 
If you're a betting person and Tom Brady's playing, you better put your money on Tom Brady. But boy, wasn't it fun to watch the Eagles win? They seemed like they were God's team to me. Did you see after the game, none of the, none of the TV showed it, but did you see after the game the Philadelphia Eagles and the Patriots got at midfield and had a prayer session together? Why don't they show that on TV? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm deviating, excuse me. We're temple. We're the temple. We can't follow images and fall in love with images and bring them in the house of the Lord. Paul joins the passage from Isaiah and Deuteronomy, urging the Jews to avoid partnership with pagan religions. People born into a false religion who get saved sometimes have a hard time making the break because of what they were ingrained with all of their lives. Well, sister so-and-so, grandma so-and-so, brother so-and-so always taught it this way. Guess what? They were wrong. That's what the Bible says. They were wrong. Well, I don't, and then they'll say, I don't care what the Bible says. You're in trouble. You are in deep trouble when you say you don't care what the Bible says and you care more about what old sister so-and-so said. If sister so-and-so is not in the Bible and not saying it the way the Bible teaches it, then don't listen to them. I'll read again. Goodness sakes. Don't make me drag it out of you. We can tolerate all religions because of freedom. You know, the Muslims can worship their God. They just don't need to stop me from worshiping mine. Just last week, TV, TV show, talk show, cackling women is what I call it. And one of them is worse than the rest. Says that our vice president is a mental, has a mental illness because he says he heard from God. Well, Martin Luther King said he heard from God too. Jesus said he heard from God too. So I guess they're mentally ill. I can tell you who's mentally ill. <laughs> well, we must be countercultural even among fellow believers. The church you attend is where you should be joining the yoke. Put your neck in the yoke and let's go. Not, every, not everybody attends this church. I wish they did. Boy, we could get a lot done. There's a lot of people lost in Jinx. Lots of people lost. There's a lot of people who don't go to church at all on Sunday morning. Sunday mornings are a time to relax and stay at home. Get off your duff and get to church house. Come on. Hey, this is the best place you can sleep for an hour, hour and a half. Come on. I get that all the time. Where's more time to sleep in? I made that statement one day about, you know, come here and bow your heads and at least think you're praying while you're sleeping. One lady said, well, I opened my Bible so you think I'm with you. <laughs> I love that. If you view the church as a shrine... When you come and worship anonymously, you need to recheck who you are and what you are in Christ. But if you view the church as your spiritual family, as a training place, as an indoctrinating place, a discipleship center, then you realize what yoke living is. So I want to ask you one thing as I close this morning. Who do you want to stay in step with? Who 
is going to join you in this three-legged race we call Christianity. Father, I ask you this morning, would you touch each life, touch the people that are here, and help them to understand that it's very important that what they do is critical. God, we've got to quit playing with the world, and we've got to get right with you. We've got to slide our necks under that open in the yoke and pull with you, not against you, not without you, but with you. So God, would you impress upon our hearts that in marriage, in business, in life itself, who we pick as a partner makes all the difference in the world. My mother used to tell me not to hang around certain kids. I didn't understand all that, but the older I get, the more I understand that statement. There's certain people who don't have the value system that I do, and I need to stay away from them. Not because I'm better than them, it's because I'm trying to be better than them. And God, I need help every day. I need partners who will partner with me and who will pull with me as we pull with you. Maybe there's someone, just one person in this room today who says, I need to be a partner with you, Jesus. Would you give him courage to respond? There may be a group of other people that just need somebody to pray over them. Would you let them make that known to us today? there's one to make a decision today, would you work through them, encourage them, give them courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.